This is the Pod Goblins Hat, a podcast about the Moomins. This is episode 7, which is about houseboats, boathouses and father figures. I'm Dave, a person who has written many memoirs of my exploits. I'm Nina, a person who was not born under any particular star. And we're reading all the way through Tuve Janssen's Moomin's books together. It's the first time for me. Whereas if I wrote my memoirs or my exploits, the Moomins would be featured pretty regularly. We're starting by reading the storybooks for children in order of publication. And eventually we will cover all of Tuve Janssen's Moomin stories. First, we need to explain the difference between exploits and memoirs, right? This is an interesting one because there are two books, two versions of this story. One was published after Finn Family Moomin Troll, but the other one was published quite a number of years afterwards. So Dave's reading the book that's called Memoirs of Moomin Papa, which came out in 2017. I'm reading the original translation from 1952. That said, the first version of this book I ever read was Exploits of Moomin Papa. Yeah. I first read it as Nina has read it. We need to bid goodbye to Elizabeth Porch. The translator. Of Comet in Moomin Land and Finn Family Moomin Troll. I want to make a general statement. In the first season of this podcast, I generally was attributing most things in the text to Tuve Janssen, but we have found out in the interim between seasons that a lot of the decisions in the text are often from the translators. I should give the translators more credit, but also maybe blame them for some of the things that I don't like (laughs) about the books. So it's a mixed bag on that for the translators. You're more responsible and yet more to blame. I think Elizabeth Porch overall did a good job and made some interesting choices. And I would like to bid her well as we welcome Thomas Warburton in her stead. So would I. (laughs) This has been translated by Thomas Warburton. Yours too, right? Sadly, it doesn't have the translator's name on the front of the book, so I'm having to open it again. Yes. And this is the exploits of Moomin Papa described by himself, set down and illustrated by Tuve Janssen. So this isn't by Tuve Janssen. What does yours say? Written and illustrated by Tuve Janssen. So it doesn't even mention Moomin Papa. He's erased from his own story. That's terrible. According to the Moomin's official website, the publishers originally thought that children were more familiar with the word exploits than they would be with the word memoirs. (laughs) Tuve always wanted it to be memoirs, and the publishers said no. Your book has got an introduction, which mine doesn't, I think. Is that That right? Correct. So the way that the Memoirs of Mimi Papa edition works is you begin with a prologue. Right. I don't have that. And then we go into the memoirs. Which start with a preface. Which is by Moomin Papa. But I guess it's the framing that has excluded Moomin Papa from the title pages. Whereas the the earlier book kind of lived in the fiction. This one frames that fiction and so can't pretend to be written by Moomin Papa. 
Is there anything of note that you want to tell us about in the prologue? The prologue functions a little bit like the start of the film Citizen Kane or the Proust book, I can't remember which one it is, where he eats the Madeleine biscuit. À la recherche du temps perdu, isn't it? Yeah, of course. I can't pronounce or even <laughs> understand what words you're using, but I know that that's a French sentence. It starts with Moomin Troll, which I guess is to kind of induct the Moomin's fans into it. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of describes Moomin Papa getting a cold. And when he's experiencing that cold, he starts thinking about his youth and he keeps thinking about the Meerschaum tram, which will come up in the book. So one of the kind of motivations for Moomin Papa writing his memoirs is to explain to his family why that particular ornament is significant to him. He's offended and upset that they don't understand the significance, <laughs> the history of this. And then he starts to write his memoirs. And when he does that, he feels better. So it's almost like he's cold. It's not really a cold so much as... The weight of an untold childhood. Yes, one thing I do want to mark up, because it's really weird, is that what is recommended that he drinks to get rid of his illness is warm milk with onion juice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe that sounds very nice to Finnish people. I don't know. It might be their version of lemon and honey. But for me, it sounds horrible. Uh, and even for Nina, who grew up in the land of onions... Uh, which is France. Land of onions. <laughs> Certainly in the English opinion, right? <laughs> they only eat onions and baguettes <laughs> in France and they all wear stripy tops. We all know that's true and factual. All right, what's our themes, Dave? So our themes are, like they are for all of the Moomin stories we're looking at, relationships, and then the specific ones to the memoir slash exploits is memoir. So if you're reading the exploits version of this book, you start straight away in first person with Moomin Papa in the preface, which starts, I, Moomin Papa, am sitting tonight by my window gazing into my garden, where the fireflies embroider their mysterious signs on the velvet dark. Perishable flourishes of a short but happy life. <laughs> so that's a taste of how he writes. <laughs> it's all like yeah. this. It's a parody and it's a character story. So it's both deliberately poking fun at people who write like this and finding Moomin Papa's voice. But this is not Moomin Papa's normal voice. This is his version of what my dad used to have, which I used to call his telephone voice. This is, yeah. this is the written version of that. And in fact, my dad had that for writing too. So he's written this preface in Moomin Valley in August, which is how he signs it. And he's just talking about like the experience of writing for his son and that he's got a special memoir pen. Then he starts chapter one. And I want to point out, first of all, that in all the other books, we've had chapter one, which is about thing, thing and thing. We've changed it. This is a more literary version. Now it says chapter one, in which I tell of. Like it's putting Moomin Papa into everything. 
yeah. That could also be a difference between Thomas Warburton and Elizabeth Porch, though. It could indeed. We'll see as we continue. Since we started with a, a quote from Moomin Papa, this is another good quote. I like the truth, except when it's too boring. I don't quite remember how old I am. <laughs> You're as old as Moomin Papa in this book, right? What, he's 41, canonically, in the book. No, he's 40. He's canonically just about to turn 40. So you're a bit older than him Oh, now. my God. I'm older than Moomin <laughs> Papa. That is real weird. Jeez. Okay. Now I'm really enthusiastic about swiftly moving on. We start with a baby on a doorstep. Classic. Yeah, very classic beginning, very auspicious, born under some very special stars on the doorstep of the home for Moomin Foundlings, which is run by a female Hemulin. Have we met a female Hemulin before? I don't think so. No, we have not met a female Hemulin before, but the only Hemulins in this book are women. So we get a quick rundown of what the childhood is like in the home, and it's typically sad. Moomin Papa, who at this moment is not Moomin Papa, but simply Moomin, is misunderstood he's so creative and brilliant and genius like and nobody understands him and nobody encourages him he has to hold his tail out at the exact 45 degree angle demanded by the hemulin the routine is really restrictive she's really big on cleanliness the interesting thing about this orphanage is that the other occupants of the orphanage are all moomins as well but they are rule-abiding, well-behaved Moomins who are buying into the vibe that the Hemulin is setting out for them. Only Moomin Papa has a revolutionary soul. He's setting himself up as a character, as a sort of prophet, a biblical character almost. I mean, I think he's stolen this from Snufkin's origin story. Snufkin was found in a basket. He's gone, I'll have that. I'll put that in there. That'll make me sound really chosen one-ish. Up there's a moomin, orphan, son of a mama and a papa Abandoned in a hemulin, orphanage in moomin land By providence impoverished in squalor Grow up to be a hero and a scholar Moomin Papa My name is Moomin Papa And there's a million things I haven't got to But just you wait, just you wait I think it very much has a deliberate feel of Dickens or something like that. Like Oliver Twist is what you think about. Moomin Papa likes to talk about how bad his childhood is, but when you look at the facts of it, it really isn't bad. It seems fine. (laughs) It's one of the better orphanages in children's literature, let alone in real life. I mean, he says that the Hermulin likes to wash them more than she likes to kiss them. And I think what he's talking about is a kind of emotional poverty if not a physical poverty and that's a good line yeah that is a really good line like that's the line that most conveys that this is an unhappy childhood and the reasons why it's not because she's not looking after them it's because she's giving them the wrong kind of care to sustain children or at least only half of the kind of care that you need because it is important to wash your children but she tries to apply etiquette to the tale and does not let it fly free So before the end of chapter one, Moomin Papa is out of there. He's leaving through the window. He's climbing down the clothesline, very much like in Finn Family Moomin Troll. Everybody's got ladders coming out of their bedroom windows. Maybe it's because of this, this original climbing out of the bedroom window moment 
He leaves a note for the hair mealer and he tells her that he's taken the pot of pumpkin mash. And off he goes. And suddenly, he feels so happy. There's no schedule, there's no plan, he doesn't have to do anything. First thing he does is he eats a pumpkin mash and then chucks away the pot because that way he's got no belongings, he is the freest of the free, he finds a nice forest. He asks, who does this forest belong to? The birds are like, shut up. And he's like, no, but whose is it really? And they're like, no, everyone's, no one's. He's like, so mine then, right? And they're like, yeah, sure, yours too, whatever. (laughs) And he decides to build a house. And this is the first moment I got confused between memoirs and exploits. Right. Crucial difference, yes. So does he build the house or does he draw the house? Okay, so here's how it goes. In exploits, he builds a house. He canonically builds a house. There's a picture of a house in the book. In memoirs, he does not build the house. He draws the house and in a very beautiful and strange and interesting sequence, because he puts so much of his imagination into the drawing, he believes that he has made the house. And he goes to the hedgehog and says, come and look at my amazing house, shows the hedgehog a drawing of a house. And the hedgehog is like, what's wrong with you? I've got things to do. So that's the difference. There's a much longer sequence with the hedgehog. The hedgehog is much more of a character in the memoirs. So the things to note about the house is it's tall and slender like a stove. And Moomin Papa reminds you, if you'd forgotten, that Moomin houses are shaped like stoves because Moomins used to live behind stoves before central heating. And he also puts great emphasis on the nice fretwork on the veranda. Then the hedgehog is an insufficient admirer of the house. And so he wanders down the stream to see if he can find something else or someone else to look at the house. And he comes across Hodgkins, his first friend. Hodgkins has got long, fluffy, dangly ears. He likes fishing. He is a creature of few words. He listens about the Hermulin, and nobody else in the forest so far had been very interested in listening about the Hermulin. He comes to see the house, and he agrees that it's a good house, And Moomin Papa reads into that. It's a great and wonderful house, the best house ever. And obviously in the other version of the book, that doesn't quite happen in the same way because there's no house for Hodgkins to admire. End of chapter one, to bed and to sleep. The next day we meet a character called the Muddler. The Muddler is the nephew to Hodgkins. He lives in an American coffee tin and... Is he speaking like an American, would you say? I don't know. I didn't think of that, but I guess that's possible. Well, he goes, gee, and sure, a lot. Is that a translation decision? Yeah. Uh, Or is that an author decision? I've been burnt now. That's going to always be my (laughs) question. But how would you denote American speech in Swedish? I would not. (laughs) Okay, well, anyway, so... We've met the muddler. The muddler lives in his American coffee tin. He's got loads of stuff in there. He's really into collections. He's filled with anxiety. His catchphrase is, excuse me, excuse me, and then he'll express a worry. Yeah, he's got this great line when he's worried about what somebody's thinking about him. He says, please say something quickly or else I'll start crying again. And I really do relate to that. (laughs) If I know there's something coming, I want it to happen as quick as possible. Please don't leave it over my head. I'll only imagine much worse. Yeah, he is very relatable. Hodgkins announces that he's got a houseboat and he parts the leaves and there it is, a boat in the stream. Moomin Papa's like, where's the house? And Hodgkins points to his house over there and he's like, well, just get 
the house on the boat, or maybe we could get the boat under the house, and then it'll be a house boat. And this is a beautiful moment of like creative synthesis between Moomin Papa and Hodgkins. You can just tell it's one of those creative partnerships. Hodgkins, I replied, feeling a catch in my throat. When our mutual talents are joined, there'll be no limit to their scope. With the change, I feel like that's a kind of, it's a slightly different thing. Yeah, where do they get a house from in memoirs? In this book, it's got a pilot house in it. Already. And Moomin Papa says, I fell into thought. The house was too matter of fact to my taste. The window frames could have been more imaginative. The captain's bridge would have been the better for a light balustrade, fretworked with marine motifs and the roof (laughs) ornamented by a knob, perhaps a gilt one. Which is what he's got on his house. Indeed. It is picture of a house, right? So Hodgkins has built an actual house and he's like, not as good as my imaginary one. (laughs) And I think that's the thing, like in memoirs, it's less of a wonderful meeting of equals and more that Moomin Papa believes it to be that. Yes. But in fact, he is irrelevant and Hodgkins is the one with the talent and the story. So then they try and think of a way to involve the muddler because the muddler's feeling left out. So they're like, oh, can you paint? And he's like, yeah, I can paint. I've done a portrait of every single one of my cousins, separate painting of each one. And they're like, yeah, yeah, great. Could you paint the boat like up to the waterline? And could you write the boat's name on the side? The boat's name is... The Ocean Orchestra. The muddler gets to work with the red paint. It's very, very messy. And he has a little bit of difficulty with the spelling of the Ocean Orchestra. Yeah. So the boat ends up being called the Ocean Orchestra. Very relatable again, particularly for (laughs) dyslexics like myself. So now it's time to meet the jockster. And in Exploits, the jockster falls out of the Moomin house when they're trying to tow it onto the boat. Right. Where does he come from in memoirs? So in memoirs, chapter two and chapter three are longer. And so chapter two has more moping around from Moomin Papa and the (laughs) muddler and the jockster both are introduced within the houseboat in chapter three. Okay. So the jockster falls out of the Moomin house when they're moving the Moomin house onto the boat. And this is explained by saying, oh, he's always where he shouldn't be, and he shouldn't be in your house, so obviously he's there. (laughs) Like, this is a fact of his existence. If you ban him from somewhere, there he will appear. Yeah. His primary characteristic seems to be a love of laziness or a hatred of work, and he likes doing things that are forbidden, like someone else we know, maybe. Yeah, he is dressed very similar to a character called Snufkin that we've met, and uh, he basically looks the same as Snufkin. Exactly the same as Snufkin in the pictures. He's got like a, a slightly different decoration on his hat, and he's got a flower on his buttonhole. Slight costuming changes. <laughs> it's time to launch the Ocean Oxtra, but the boat is stuck. Moomin Papa thinks that Hodgkins is being mournful and Hodgkins is like, I'm not being mournful, I'm thinking and I've got an idea. We're going to need the help of Edward the Booble. Edward the Booble! Moomin Papa's like, who's Edward the Booble? And Hodgkins is like, you'll see. And they go running through the forest until they find what seems to be a tower. Moomin Papa's like, does Edward the Booble live in the tower? And Hodgkins is like, no, this is just Edward the Booble's leg. That's just how big he is. It's time for his bath. So if we could convince him to take his bath in the river, flood the river because he'll like block it with his bum because he's enormous when he sits down and that'll 
rise the level of the water, lift the boat off the ground, and they'll be off. So they have a conversation with Edward the Booble about where he should have his bath. Edward the Booble is not impressed and doesn't really want to change his bathing routine. And he says, don't be hanging around his feet because when he steps on people, he has to pay for their funerals and he's out of money. So like, get out from under his feet. But all right, he'll have a bath in the river. And they run, run back to the boat and it works. The boat is lifted up off the bank and they're off. And oh, there's a little coffee tin floating in the river. What's that? Oh, maybe it's the muddler. Maybe we should call the muddler on board. So he's coming with them. They're out through the woods. Everything's beautiful and idyllic. The jockster has forebodings. He does. Which nobody wants to listen to. They get sort of further down the river and it's dinner time and they've made some Irish stew in the kettle and they decide to, like, cast the anchor out for the night. So Hodgkins goes, nephew, cast the anchor. And the muddler grabs the kettle and throws it overboard. (laughs) (laughs) Muddler by name, muddler by nature. <laughs> Easily done. And they're like, was that the kettle? And he's like, yeah. And they're like, was that our dinner in it? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. And then we have the appearance of the groak, or rather the sound of the groak. Her hunting call comes echoing off the mountains by the side of the river. They can imagine her as a silent grey shadow racing along under the rising moon. And then they see her victim away on the shore, darting to and fro. She's going to be eaten by the groak. Moomin Papa says, not before the eyes of a Moomin. (laughs) And it's a great rescue. So he makes a very brave speech talking about how he would like to be remembered if he dies on this mission. And it involves statues. Yeah. You can see how the generations have kind of repeated themselves quite a lot with that. We also see already at this stage of his life the tendency to self-mythologising. Oh, yes. Which this whole book is. He jumps into the water. He grabs the kettle, scoops out the dinner, pushes the kettle along with his nose. The grok is coming closer. The victim jumps into the kettle, grabs Moomin Papa's tail, and he swims back to the boat, towing the kettle with the victim inside it. And they tip the contents of the kettle out and they light the light and who is the victim? The victim is a Hermulin. This Hermulin looks exactly like the Hermulin who runs the home for homeless Moomins. Um, They ask her if she's the same person. She's like, no, I'm the aunt of that Hermulin. Jockster's like, I had forebodings, I told you. And she immediately takes charge. She wants to mop the deck. She says that the Jockster is too young to smoke and that None of these children should be having coffee for breakfast. And when Moomin Mama is being told this story about like, oh, is smoking bad for you? Moomin Mama's like, oh, that's difficult. Oh, I think all nice things are good for you. Which is one of the best Moomin Mama quotes. It's a very famous moment. Certainly anybody that smokes and likes the Moomins like to wheel that one out. Do you like to wheel that one out? I don't know. I feel kind of complicated about it because whilst I have smoked... And do still imbibe substances. I don't necessarily think it's a great thing to start. And I'm not so into kids doing it. Um, I don't believe in advertising of cigarettes to children. That said, as an adult, I can totally relate to the idea of all things that are nice are good for you. And there is a truth in that. While it's not designed to be an advert, it's a pro-smoking book. Yeah, and I think you don't get that anymore 
in children's literature. It wouldn't fly. Like if you put no that in way. a book now, you can only have villains smoking now in children's books, really. She wants to set them history and arithmetic tests and make them do healthy things like going to bed early. Suddenly, there's a huge damper on the expedition. Moomin Papa says, by my tail, I'll never save anybody in the dark again. They get to a bit of the river where the nibblings live. Now, the nibblings are small creatures. They are fond of chewing and they live in colonies and they've got little suckered feet for climbing. They're suddenly surrounding the boat and they climb in on their suckered feet and the Hemulan ant panics at the sight of them, hits one of them with her umbrella and in revenge, a whole swarm of them takes her away <laughs> over the side of the boat into the water and this time nobody tries to save her. <laughs> They're like, should we have... Oh, it's too late. Oh, oh no. <laughs> They get to a beach. Moomin Papa loves it. It's like his favourite thing. We know beaches are his favourite thing. He sort of like waxes lyrical about all the things you can find on the beach and about how he's so proud that Moomin Troll loves the beach so much and that he gets that from him. They say there's wreckage of Washington All along the coast No one seems to know to God hit the most Tide is running out to sea Under a darkening sky The night is falling down on me And I'm a-thinking that I Should head on The jockster would like to go out to sea and they're like, oh, don't be such a Hattie Fatner. And then we talk about, are Hattie Fatners evil? And now we have a conversation about, have you ever seen a cloud really close up? Would it be like pink whipped cream? Or would it be like blancmange? And we should maybe remember this conversation for later. Once again in this book, it is time for everybody to go to bed. I like this about these books. There's many bedtimes. There are, there are. <laughs> but then they sort of wake up because uh, they're not anchored up in the bay anymore. They're out at sea because someone has bitten through the anchor rope and Hodgkins is furious and he tells them all that he's super angry and he accuses each in turn and each one says, oh, you know, my teeth, they're too small. And then the jockster's like, well, I've got a knife, so why would I use my teeth? And the muddler's like, I just wouldn't. And everybody believes the muddler because he's too anxious to lie. He doesn't lie. It's too much to worry about. Turns out it was a nibbling. One of them had stowed away inside the binnacle. Yes, the binnacle, which is a wooden frame that houses the ship's compass and also an aneroid barometer. So everybody's very annoyed with the nibbling and demands, what would his mother say? if she knew that he'd stowed away. And he goes, oh, I guess she'd cry. The threat doesn't work. The emotional blackmail doesn't work at all on the nibbling. So that is a very unsatisfactory end to this chapter. <laughs> Next chapter starts. They're still at sea. Moomin Papa is steering. The jockster is smoking. The jockster's quite happy that they're at sea. 
And that sort of makes Hodgkins and Moomin Papa feel a little bit uneasy. They have a little bit of a philosophical conversation about becoming and being and wanting and knowing and stuff like that. And they're thinking about how could they contact the nibbling's mother and could they send a wire? And then they're like, ah, oh, no, because there's no telegraph office. And so then we have to explain telegraph offices to the muddler and the nibbling how it's like sending messages through the air, but you have to like go to an office first. And so then the nibbling is watching the sky for flying messages. And so then he is the first to see the three clouds, three fluffy little clouds being chased by one pointy dark cloud. And someone says, oh, they're like little lambs being chased by a wolf. And this sort of excites the feelings of the muddler who wants the little cloud saved and Hodgkins sort of wants to humour him and amuse him so he makes a lasso and pulls them down and then they're just in the way a lot (laughs) they can't push them down they can't get them out of the way they're just sort of these wet things the jocks goes for a sleep in one of them and it's time to go to bed again But then, oh, you have to wake up again because there's a storm and it's all hands on deck and the barometer says there's low pressure. Moomin Papa looks at himself in the mirror, as he often does in this book, to see how tragic he's looking. And he thinks he's gone pale like they do in books. And so he goes to the jockster and says, don't you think I've gone pale? And the jockster goes, no, you've gone red, which really angers Moomin Papa. (laughs) The sun tent flies off. Everything gets broken. It's really, really bad. The muddler... Is he locked into his coffee tin or does he get locked into his coffee tin? Did he do that on purpose? I mean, it's not clear, is it? But it's, we, not it's clear. ambiguous. We can decide. Every time the boat goes up and down, everything in his coffee tin rattles. So you've got to think it must be really loud in there. And the nibbling's in with him as well, isn't it? Yes. Him and the nibbling have gone in the coffee tin. And then something amazing happens. The clouds save them. They sort of turn the boat into a kind of hot air balloon they sort of transform they catch the wind in them and they sort of become like these big big sails that lift the boat out of the water and just sort of float it along above the water and it's still like really scary but it's also kind of really beautiful and moving they take on the physical attributes of a hemilin's dress yes (laughs) Eventually, the storm dies down. They sort of take stock of the wreckage, and it's quite a lot of wreckage, including the fretwork's been damaged. And, you know, this really upsets Moomin Papa because he's really into fretwork. (laughs) They let the nibbling and the muddler out of the tin, and they say they're feeling really sick. The jockster's been holding too tight to Moomin Papa's tail the whole time, thinking it was the backstay. So we've got some more tail touching. Yeah. Some people are feeling hungry, some people are feeling sick. And then the sun rises, and Moomin Papa loves the sun. It's so beautiful. It's so great. Land ahoy. It looks like sort of island. They're like, yes, we're going to land. And on the island, there is a tower, but it's not a tower. What was it the last time we thought we saw a tower? It's Edward the Booble, and you can't imagine how angry he was. End of part one. Moomin Papa. My name is Moomin Papa And there's a million things I haven't got to But just you wait, just you wait Yeah, so the first half of Exploits or Memoirs of Moomin Papa 
it is quite weird, I think, coming in from a standard Moomin book into this one. Yeah, it is. I think the first-person narrator makes a really big difference. An unreliable narrator as well. Yes, that's my first subheading, Dave. There you go. The unreliable narrator. So taking it at face value that this is written by Moomin Papa and not by some person called Toby Janssen, how true within canon is this story? Because I feel like not very... But but he's kind of honest about that, right? Like he says, oh, I, I like the truth, except when it's less interesting than what you could say instead. Yeah. And he says something like, I changed the people from like Philijonk to a Hemelin or a Hemelin yeah. to a blah, whatever, according to my own taste. And within the story, so he starts the story saying I was found on a doorstep in a newspaper plastic bag yeah but then he changes it to a basket with leaves and then he changes it to a shell with velvet inside like he just (laughs) it gets more and more romantic because he doesn't like how mundane some aspects of the original founding story were so within the text he is rewriting the story from the beginning but we don't know if He imagined that beginning. In one version of the book, he imagines building a house that he doesn't build. And I think one of the reasons that that's there is to say this entire story might be like that house. Yeah. (laughs) His essential tragic flaw, although he hasn't got a tragedy to go with it, is the same one that kind of Macbeth has or Hamlet has. Because with Macbeth, everyone says it's about ambition. But my old English teacher, I think he's right on this, used to say, really, Macbeth's tragic flaw is imagination. He can imagine all of these things happening to him. And so he tries to make them happen. Mm. And similarly, Hamlet's problem is he imagines so many different options, he can't make any decision. And I think that that's the same with Moomin Papa. Like he has a really good imagination. He is himself impressed with his own imagination. But because he is so imaginative, because he is so liable to make up stories, it's very hard to trust anything he says. A lot of these events which are supposed to have happened before the events of Comet and Finn Family, Moomin Troll, echo those yeah. books. It's almost like he like paid attention to what Moomin Troll told him about his adventures and went, oh, I'll have them. It's also very convenient how everybody's fathers are present. Yeah, very convenient. Given his audience. So the parts that I didn't cover in the synopsis are that this book actually has two narrators. It's got the unnamed third-person narrator, that tells you about the moments when Moomin Papa is reading the story out to the children as he goes. And so in those sort of present-day bits, Moomin Troll and his friends ask him questions like, is this really true? And Moomin Papa says, it's really, really true. I just exaggerated certain things to make them more convincing. Yeah, and they say things like, why aren't you talking more about my dad? Yeah, so then he just brings in some more characters to be their dads. I mean, it's very strange because canonically, Snufkin was found very similarly and never knew his dad. Sniff was met as the creature in the flood and didn't have any parents around either. No, so I guess... Moomin Papa can make them out to be whoever he likes. And there's a nice little bit of apologetics for absent fathers, which is like, which says, one doesn't always know with fathers, they come and they go. (laughs) It feels like he's tailoring it specifically to the children he's speaking to, which is nice. Yeah. And sort of meeting their needs within the story. 
So, you know, like when he hasn't brought in any other fathers yet and Snufkin and Sniff are feeling unrepresented, he's like, let me just throw some more people in for you to see yourself in, you know? And it's interesting, like the muddler is a, for me, a better version of Sniff. He's not as toxically masculine. It's not all about competing. No, that's true. So the muddler is a better version in a way of of, of Sniff, whereas the jockster is a, not as good as Snufkin, I think. Generally speaking, Moomin Papa does not like the jockster. We're only hearing about the jockster through the lens of Moomin Papa. So maybe the jockster's a really great guy, but Moomin Papa just doesn't like him. And so he's constantly giving anti-jockster propaganda to Snufkin. Yeah. At this point, we don't know if any of this is true or not, and yet it's quite entertaining. It is quite entertaining. Also, Moomin Mama has explicitly asked Moomin Papa to censor out certain parts which would not be very inspirational to young children, and she said, oh, when you get to those bits, just go dash, dash, dash. Father, didn't you go away with the Hattie Fatness later on? Dash, 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 said Moomin Papa. But it wasn't too wicked. <laughs> Crucially, that's the only time that, that Moomin Papa does a dash, dash, dash. Yes. Like, so the only thing he doesn't want to talk about is his wicked time with the Hattie Fatners. Yeah. So we don't know what that wicked time was. In that regard, it does stand in for an inscrutability within our parents that most people have. Like, we yeah. don't fully know what happened in their lives, in their pasts. Even if, like me, you've done a whole podcast where you have delved into the entirety of your father's life story, you don't know which bits are myth and which bits are fact when you have a father like mine or a father like Moomin Papa. Or a father like anybody's father. Any father, yeah. <laughs> I mean, all of our memories of our own past are rewritten yeah. by ourselves every time we think about them. And I think that's a big theme of this book. That's largely what this book is about, yeah. Should we talk about masculinity in this book? We can definitely do that. So, number one, why are there no girls in this story? Well, in this half of the story. Okay, in this half of the story. There are some girls. Oh, but they're so... All of the Hemulins are women, we've said, but agreed. The Hedgehog is a mother That's true. as well, I think. There's a few mothers, yeah. So there's mothers and mother figures and they're all sort of fussing and getting in the way and not understanding about adventurousness and freedom. We've got talk of feeling manly again. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. Maybe it wasn't in my copy. Maybe that was a change. Maybe not. The speech. Shall I read out the speech before he rescues the Hermulin? Because I think that is a prime example. The unknown hero doesn't ask for wreaths on his grave, but I'd appreciate a granite monument with two weeping Hermulins. Right. Courage! The Moomins are coming. There's something rotten in a country that allows its brokes to eat its citizens. <laughs> But to be fair, I mean, there is a lot of male characters in this book, but they are not treated with respect, which is good. <laughs> Moomin Papa is constantly, like, supposed to look ridiculous in all of his puffing and self-belief. He loves himself. I mean, I think there's a very definite reference to Narcissus, the actual myth of Narcissus. 
what the, how he's always looking in the mirror. Yeah, and like there's like when he goes off on his own and he's kind of thinking about himself. I think that that's interesting though because Moomin Papa loves himself in a way that's quite enviable. Yeah. Like he thinks he's naturally talented at everything. And then occasionally when he's not good at something, he'll say like, that was one of the only things in the whole world that I'm not good at. He is very much the living embodiment of give me the confidence of a mediocre white man. Yes. Give me the confidence of a mediocre white moomin. It's stark to me how different Moomin Papa's love of himself is when you compare it to the Snort Maiden's love of herself in mm. the previous book that we've read. The Snort Maiden doesn't get the same kindness around no. her vanity that, yeah. that he gets around his. And he is incredibly vain as a character. Absolutely. And I don't even like the concept of vain. But, uh, but he is, though. <laughs> Narcissus came to mind for a reason. The original looking in the mirror and falling in love with yourself, dude. I like the moments in which he describes his physical body. It's really nice. Yes, he really loves He's it. He's like, oh, I looked at myself and I had really nice little ears. Yeah. <laughs> and a really lovely tail. And I just have such beautiful eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is nice. And that's actually an interestingly different version of masculinity. Yeah. You know, you do get vain masculinities, which are like about appearance, but they don't think about how pretty their eyes are. And so that is an interesting complication of the masculinity. There's also this kind of boomer masculinity that he exhibits. Uh -huh. Like he's always saying things used to be better in the old days. Yeah. In those days, things really happened. <laughs> the world was very large in those days and small things were small in a much nicer way than now. Yeah, there's this sort of like heavy, heavy nostalgia filter over everything. Yeah. Which I think is very memoirish. But it's deliberately so absurd that we know yes. that that's not to be trusted or believed. Yeah. There's a lot of meta commentary on the Moomin books in general and on this story itself. They even say, like, why are you saying everything like that when the kids <laughs> hear the story? Yeah. Which, again, works like a kind of Greek chorus to, mm. like, keep on reminding us, don't trust this dude. Not in a malicious way. But, I mean, can any memoir be trusted? No. No. And that's kind of what it's about. And the, Tuve wrote memoir as well as kids' books. And she also wrote fiction that was heavily autobiographical. So, like, there's a book called The Sculptor's Daughter, which could be the name of your autobiography. And this in itself is a way, I think, of her dealing with feelings about her father. To keep on masculinity for a moment, the other kind of masculinity we're seeing all the time in this, it's like, I must save you. It's that romantic idea invented by the Victorians thinking about medieval people of chivalry. He even uses that word when the Hermulin aunt gets carried off by the nibbling. She's like, uh, this time my chivalry lay dormant. For people unfamiliar with the idea of chivalry in its original context, it was mostly about how many horses you could own and how you uh, dealt with property disputes. We haven't talked about the Groak much. We're talking about the Groak. I was going to say, we have to talk about the Groak. For a start, the Groak is introduced in this book as a Groak. So there are several. The crucial thing about the Groke in this book that I find very interesting is to do with Edward the Booble, because Edward the Booble uses the word Groke 
like a swear word. Yeah. And that means in the world of the Moomins, groke is such a horrible thing that it's like universally what you might use when you're using a kind of curse word. So she's universally bad, I guess. Yeah. Even to Edward the Booble. And what could she possibly do to Edward the Booble? I know. She can't hurt him. She's so much smaller than him. (laughs) It says that she's chasing the Hemulin aunt and that she's going to eat her. Does she eat people? We've never seen that. No. She has so far shown no sign of eating people. She has chased the Hemulin aunt. But who knows really what she was going to do when she caught the Hemulin aunt? I liked seeing her in this. There's a really good picture of her coming up over the hill as Moomin Papa is swimming to rescue her hapless victim. (laughs) We get some solid Hattie Fatner lore. Yeah. We discover that they are always trying to reach the horizon. That is why they are endlessly going across the sea. We discover that they sail using their electricity. We know about their electricity from Finn Family Moon Control. They get all charged up by storms. We didn't know its purpose, and that its no. purpose is apparently to move their boats, and that they live a wicked life, uh, <laughs> which we don't know much about. Dash, dash, dash. Of beer drinking and garden trampling. That's right. Dash, dash, dash. Dash, dash, dash. But all of these are seen through the lens of the non-Hattie Fatners. So yeah. we don't know how much So of I that am is calling true. this hearsay. I don't know that I believe this about the Hattie yeah, Fatners. Yeah, it's, me- it's less lore and more rumour. I've turned the page in my notes. So now I can see fame and fortune. So this is what Moomin Papa wants when he says he wants statues to his name. He wants it from the beginning. He wants it even when he's in the home for Moomins. He wants to distinguish himself. He wants individuality. He wants to be legendary. And then what's interesting is this is also what Moomin Troll wants when he's hearing about this story. He's like, do you think this book will sell loads? Will we have loads of money? Yeah. Moomin Troll wants it for financial gain. It's also what Hodgkins wants. They have a conversation about that when the Hemulin aunt enters the boat and takes over. He says he would like to be a great man and a famous man because then he wouldn't have to care what the Hemulin aunt says, and he could just do what he liked. He thinks that fame and fortune would give him independence and freedom. There's an interesting contradiction in Moomin Papa as well, because he's obsessed with building houses and thinks about building houses, but there's a line where he, he wonders, is it possible for a house owner to be an adventurer? And, I mean, it's a good question. There's this sort of tension, isn't there, between he wants some sort of domesticity... Yeah. In some ways. That's the house. And he's very particular about the house. It has to have like an onion-shaped dome knob on the top that's gilded and it has to have the nice fretwork on the veranda and all this stuff. In these ways, he's very domestically focused, but he wants to be known as an adventurer and he wants to have adventures. And can you even do that if you're living in a house? I mean, Snufkin would say no. Right? Snufkin goes around in a tent. Maybe that's why. Snufkin says in a different book, like, when you start to own things, it kind of changes your relationship to these sorts of things. And, like, there is a tension in the human experience. Yeah. And and the Moomin experience of wanting, like, stability, safety, comfort. But when you have those things, you have to protect them. You have to have upkeep of those things. You can't just leave them and come back to them and they'll be the same. But that's also true of a boat. 
a boat will soon rust and sink if you don't look after it. Right, but it does give you adventure because it comes to a different place. So you, yeah. you, you may have to do the upkeep, but the upkeep is what allows you to have your adventures, whereas the upkeep in a house... Keeps you there. And stops you from thinking about other things that you could be doing. Even though it's a story of adventures, this is a story about going towards domesticity, isn't it? Yeah. We know that the eventual end for Moomin Papa will be a Moomin house. In the Moomin Valley with his children. Writing his memoirs, not really wanting to go out and do much more than potter around in his neighbourhood. Yeah. Sometimes feeling wistful about the old days. Yeah. That's always the problem with a prequel. But also that's always the story of the hero's journey. Yeah. The end of the hero's journey is always come back to a, a basic level of status quo. It's why the hero's journey is essentially a conservative story. The end of the hero's journey is always going to be settling down, finding yeah. a wife or a husband if we're getting super progressive about the uh, hero's journey. But like, it's always about a man going on adventures, then settling down with his new version of the world that he's nearly always in charge of. Yeah. And that is what this story is, because mm -hmm. Moomin Papa, for all he's a very mild-mannered patriarch, he is a patriarch. And he's controlling the narrative now. He gets to say who did what, who was important, whose story was important, which parts of the story were important. And that's part of what you get to do when you're the patriarch, when you're the writer of the memoir, the writer of the history, is you can do what you like. And he definitely is doing that. And to his credit, he's making that quite clear. Yeah, he's being honest, at least. Yeah. He's like, this is what I would like to remember. Maybe Papa is a very conservative figure he is. isn't he he is <laughs> no yeah. more washing by others orders no more eating just because it was dinner time no more saluting to anybody other than a king i'm a staunch royalist in case you didn't know yeah i've got that like in my notes like he, he he's against authority in theory but he does love a king i think we should continue with your theory about tales being souls because there's an awful lot of tale chat in this book well, like the kind of conservative that he is, he really cares about status and symbols of that status. And I think that his tale is that. Like, yeah. it might be his soul because he's got a conservative soul, but it's his sign of distinguishedness. The way he treats his tale is like lots of men throughout history have treated their moustache. Yeah, <laughs> it is like that. It's very interesting if we do think that his tale is his soul. Then in the orphanage, the children are being forced to hold their souls in a very particular way that is maybe not natural or comfortable to them. They're being forced to perform their souls more than they are being allowed to let their souls be what they are and flop where they may. Um, <laughs> I guess because my thinking about this is influenced by your comparing it to people's demons in the His Dark Materials trilogy, I noticed there's an awful lot of tail touching, which would be taboo right. in that world, yeah. where you touching someone else's demon is like the most intimate thing you can do and without consent is the worst violation. Uh, Ant touches it so that he can tow her back to the boat when she's in the kettle. And that seems to be all right. But then as soon as she gets on the boat, he starts holding it at a 45 degree angle again because he's anxious about her and he's frightened of her. 
And that was his conditioning in the orphanage. And that that is a moment that's a bit sad. Yeah, I think the bits where you feel the most sorry for Moomin Papa are often the bits where he's not paying attention to it himself. When we've considered tales as souls in the past, it's been because of Moomin Troll's obsession with his own tale. Yeah. And where's he got that from? His father. <laughs> so whether or not tales are souls, like it's very possible that just... Moomin Papa has projected soulness onto Tails, and so him and his son see Tails as like people's souls, and other characters like the Snorks go. They're practical tools. They're not things to show off. But can't it be both? Of course. Can't a tool have a soul? They can be used badly, but I don't have a problem with love of one's own tail. Oh, love of one's own body, you know? Yeah, exactly. I like that. I'm pro it, can't do it myself, but very pro it. <laughs> I get the impression from reading Hodgkins, he doesn't even particularly care about Moomin Papa. Moomin Papa thinks that he is the uh, the Sam to Hodgkins Frodo. I made a promise, Mr. Frodo. A promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee. And I don't mean to. I don't mean. I don't think Hodgkins is thinking about anyone but Hodgkins and occasionally the muddler. And only the muddler in terms of, where's my nephew? I don't want to mislay him. Like, he, he, has, he isn't very talkative. He'll talk to you if you talk to him. He's a good listener, though. Well, yeah, like people who don't care what you're saying are. He's a good enough listener for Moomin Papa. Yeah, because all of Moomin Papa needs is a mirror. Yes. <laughs> He is Narcissus. I've compared him to all these terrible people. You've also compared him to your papa. Yeah. Go on. Go off about your dad. I love my dad. He is dead now. He was a wonderful person. He was very prone to mythologizing himself, mythologizing the family. Just like Moomin Troll, these are not qualities I have, have, have failed to inherit. I'm more self-aware, but my dad was quite self-aware uh, about his own mythologizing. A little bit like Moomin Papa. Certainly the beginning of the memoirs reminds me of the kinds of books my dad used to write, as in it has so many starts, like a preface <laughs> and a prologue that is very on brand for my dad. And then the way that he talks in his memoirs and writes about it is less accessible than he talks in his everyday language. Uh, my dad's fiction and memoir is super inaccessible, full of very clever ideas, but very <laughs> difficult to understand ideas. Moomin Papa is a bit more understandable, a lot, a lot more understandable, to be fair. That's because Moomin Papa is written by a children's writer. <laughs> For children, yeah. So there is a, very much an element of that. Certainly my dad's life is a series of adventures. So those are the sorts of ways that I was constantly reminded of my dad in the story. It's interesting to me as well, because the first person who read this story to me was indeed my dad. And yeah. so the first time I heard... Moomin Papa's voice. It was literally in my dad's voice. My dad's version of Moomin Papa's voice. So what was that like? Deeper. Posher? Posher, yeah, and pompous. Yeah. Moomin Papa reminds me of my dad as well, but my dad isn't a writer. He is a good storyteller, though, especially or only when he's drunk. This is a sad thing about when your dad is an alcoholic, is that all of your good memories of him are when he was so blackout drunk that he can't remember them. So only yeah, I have them. Yeah, yeah. But the best times with my dad are sitting around listening to him talk while he drinks. And sometimes he would recite his memoirs. And the thing is, these are so mythologised 
but it's very, very, very hard to know if any of it is true. He was my granny's only son, and so for that reason, he was very mythologized from being very young. So he's always been made out to me to be preternaturally intelligent and creative and sensitive and handsome and athletic and romantic and all these things. And I'm sure some of that's true, because I think some of that is true about all children. Right. Both our dads, it sounds like Cher, Moomin, Papa's quality of feeling misunderstood within the world, feeling separate. Like my dad had a book that he wrote called A Stranger in the House. That is kind of the way he thought of himself in the world. To be fair, (laughs) he was a lodger in a house with his ex-wife. Sure, sure. And it's a good title. But whereas your dad sort of thought of himself as athletic and like Moomin Papa does, yeah. My dad thought of himself more as the observer, passive in the world. Like, And Moomin Papa is passive in the world in this story, he but he doesn't realise he is. He thinks he's active when he's actually passive, whereas my dad's part of his mythology was his passivity. The way he told it was it happened to him. That's how my dad talks about stuff that he did that was bad. It happened to him. You know, I had no conscious ability to make a decision. I was swept up in the romance, in the story of the world. And who am I but a bit of flotsam and jetsam? My dad tells the story of himself as a young person pre-children as very active. And then the story about his marriage and his becoming a father is one of, like, stuff happening to him. Like, oh, a wedding happened to him. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And then three separate pregnancies happened to his partner with no input from him. He didn't do anything. <laughs> I just found myself on one knee. There was a ring in my pocket. <laughs> and I guess another similarity between both of our dads and Moomin Papa is wanting to leave a mark on the world, wanting to be remembered, a legacy. I relate to all of that in my dad uh, and in Moomin Papa and even in your dad. Like, I also have that conflict of like, I do want to be remembered for my great works as much as I hate the idea of great works. The little seabird flying goes where he wants to go Guess I ought to pack my stuff This book is kind of the origin story of Moomin Papa's love for beachcombing. Yeah. In fact, there's a kind of very interesting rosebud style moment of like him making a carved onion that he makes to go on the houseboat. Yeah. And then later he finds that washed up on the sea in the modern time. And that proves, to a certain extent, that some of what he's saying is true. Yes. And the other thing I like about his relationship with beaches, in particular, his relationship with beaches describes beaches as very much a liminal space. Like, he likes the beach because it is a transition between sea 
and land. The, the beach is kind of almost sacred and powerful because it's where these two different things clash. I'm sure my son Moomin Troll has inherited my taste for beaches. I feel proud of him when he goes pearl diving or cave discovering or salvaging wreckage. But to be out at sea and to have only the horizon before one's eyes is often a little tedious to Moomins. We like changing things, all that is unexpected and strange and mixed up, like beaches and sunsets and spring. Yeah, that's something that really resonates with me, Hmm. the way I see the world, the way I identify myself, all of those things. I mean, did you like the first half of this book, Nina? Yes, but I don't think I like Moomin Papa that much. I like Hodgkins a lot. Do you? Yeah. That's interesting. I find him a bit distant and hard to relate to, but... He's an autistic king. Is he? Yeah. <laughs> I had not read him as autistic, but now I am. Now I'll like him more because I'll understand why he's like that. I thought of him more as like a a person who thought himself so above other people, but that can be a common misreading of autistic people. And so Indeed. I chastised myself strongly for... <laughs> such a holistic reading of him I, I like the muddler as well yeah who's a who's who's my kind of neurodivergent yeah. <laughs> listeners when i'm looking for a quote in a book or my, like trying to find my notes i'm in an environment that probably resembles the tin can that, that the muddler lives in there's so many bits and bobs that i love that i've just got scattered around so i'm very much a muddler not a hemelin I enjoy this book. I found the new version, the different version of it, really interesting. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I think that I enjoyed having this book read to me because my dad could inhabit Moomin Papa yeah. in a way that was very enjoyable. But as an independent reader, this book did not interest me. Yeah. I think it would make a really good audiobook with that kind of narrator, someone who can Moomin Papa it up. Yeah, it's almost a performance piece. And, you know, yeah. it, it, it deserves to be a, a kind of monologue with acted out scenes and, yeah. you know, all well, of that. Well, that's how it's written. It's a monologue that's interrupted by the audience sometimes going, oh, what about my dad? Well, uh, yeah. maybe that's what it was intended to be. At this point in the episode, we like to do a section we like to call... Wow, I've really been affected by Moomin Papa. (laughs) What would Snufkin do? Where we ask a question to our internal Snufkins and try to answer it as Snufkin would. And this week, we've got a question from Martin... So for this, we are sourcing our questions from upcoming guests. Unfortunately, you cannot submit your questions yet and have them featured in this season. You can submit your questions. What will happen is you won't hear them until probably season three. Please give us your questions for Snufkin. We do want them all the time, anytime, but they won't be used until a little bit later on. And today's question is from Martin Zolst Oswick, who many of you might know as Martin the Soundman. And to find Martin and all the things he does, probably the easiest way is to follow him on Twitter. You can find him at Martin Ostwick. And Martin says... I'm really bad at buying presents. I know people who are good at making them or putting thought into gifts they get for other people, but I'm bad at it. 
and I've been travelling or living in places for a few months at a time, so I can't even think about what I would want to be given. The answer is nothing. I also worry about how wasteful ephemeral gifts are, whilst wanting to show people I think about them. What would Snufkin do? Excellent question, Martin. We're very impressed by Martin's submission. Especially because Martin hasn't read the Moomins, and so he can't possibly know how fitting a question this is for Snufkin. So the way I thought we'd start this is to think about gifts that Snufkin has given in the book so far. He gave Sniff garnets in Comet and Moominland. Yeah, I mean, he certainly says you can have them all. These are precious jewels in a hole in the ground. That's his general way of giving you things. Yeah. He'll tell you a story. He'll play you a song. Those are gifts. Uh, they are things he has created. But he'll also just give you the environment that you are in. And Snufkin shares with you... With you, Martin. A sort of distaste for too many possessions or possessions you don't need, all that kind of thing. I think Snufkin also cares about letting people know that he thinks of them. But I don't think he's anxious about it. I think he's quite confident that his way of being in the world and his way of being with other people is sufficient. And maybe it's sufficient for you in your way of being in the world. You know, I know that there are lots of people who are good at presence, but if you're not one of them, maybe you're more of a snuffkin. And everybody loves snuffkin. I mean, Snufkin's not even good at buying things for himself. I mean, we saw that he couldn't even buy a new pair of trousers. He doesn't like things that will tie him down. And I don't think other than ephemeral songs and stories, I don't think there is anything that Snufkin really does give to anybody. And he doesn't want to give anything more than those things. You, Martin, do clearly want to give other people things. And that is a a problem that I think Snufkin would point out to you Mm. And he might say, have you considered not caring? Have you considered singing a song to yourself instead? Actually, I mean, Martin can tell stories and sing. And so you could easily, instead of buying presents, you could just write everybody a song. I mean, as the skint and creative person in my family, when everybody expects a unique creation for presents, that is a different kind of pressure that is not necessarily better than the buying pressure. It's definitely much more stressful than buying presents, I think, writing a load of stories or singing a load of songs. And it's definitely a lot of admin and labour. But that is a thing you could consider doing. Not knowing what you would want to be given, the answer is nothing. That is basically what Snufkin would say as well. That's valid. But also, perhaps the other people in your life also feel this way. You can't be the only person feeling overburdened by possessions and not needing anything else. It's entirely possible that the people that you want to show your care for also don't need more stuff. I think we can all divest from this sort of economy of, oh, we need to have a transaction every festival, every birthday, every Christmas to mark every occasion. Like, actually, that as I think I think you said in your question, yeah. feeds right into wastefulness and consumerism. And the thing is with these things, you someone has to be the first to divest. One of you in any gifting relationship has to be the one to go, or oh, maybe I won't this year and maybe I'll send you a text instead or perhaps I'll phone you up or send you a card. Yeah. And maybe that other person will then have the gift of 
not having to think, oh, what am I going to get Martin? If you give somebody a plastic thing that they're never going to use, that's not a gift so much as a curse for the world, uh, let alone for the person who has to find somewhere in their house to put it. I think maybe Snufkin might question, though, putting the words wasteful and ephemeral together. Yes, Snufkin loves something ephemeral. And I think when Martin is phrasing this question, he's thinking of ephemeral physical gifts. And I think maybe a way that Snufkin might advise him to do is to stop thinking about wasteful ephemeral gifts and focus on the ones that don't waste anything. Physical companionship. Yeah. Seeing a friend, taking them to a cool place that you found, showing them a nice acorn. Those are the kinds of ephemeral gifts that don't create landfill, don't create stress. That's a gift. And it's enough. That's often the problem with presents. People have expectations of what they are and there are strict rules of what they should be. And Snufkin would say, get rid of those expectations, get rid of the strict rules and we'll all be more liberated for it. It's a good question and worth everybody asking, I think. Have you got a Spirit of the Moomins recommendation? My Spirit of the Moomins this week, Nina, is a book. How dare you? How dare I uh, go into your sphere? They're trespassing on my territory, listener. But am I, though? Because this is not the kind of book that Nina would necessarily recommend, because it is a comic book. I read comic books. You read comics, but you've so far only recommended prose. I'll allow it. I'm making the case it has got the spirit of the Moomins for a number of reasons. So it is Fun Home by Alison Bechdel, which is subtitled A Family Tragedy Comic. It is not for children. It's a complicated story about queerness, about discovering your lesbian sexuality and relating to a complicated father who is also queer. It's a memoir like The Exploits of Moomin Papa. It has lots of pictures in it. It is told from the point of view of a kind of creative person who has got lots of imagination and is trying to make sense of the world. It's a coming-of-age story, which I think Exploits of Moomin Papa kind of wants to be. And it's beautiful. It's complicated. It has so many of the themes that are current all through Tuve Janssen's work. It does include quite a lot of literary analysis because... Because it's Alison Bechdel. (laughs) And Alison Bechdel is a great comics writer. She has done many other brilliant works uh, that you should also check out. In some ways, it doesn't have the spirit of the Moomins, but it definitely has the spirit of Tuve Janssen and the form of the Moomins. So, Nina, what is your spirit of the Moomins this week? So, Moomin Papa frames himself very much as a refugee in this story, which I would argue he is not. (laughs) He's just a kid who's run away from home, which is an important experience, but is not a refugee experience. So I thought I would recommend a real childhood refugee memoir. It's When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit by... Judith Carr. It's a brilliant, brilliant book. You probably know Judith Carr for the Mog books or The Tiger Who Came to Tea, and those are also brilliant. But When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit is a completely different thing. It's 
about war, but it's about war from the point of view of a little girl who I think at the start of it is seven. And the thing that affects her the most about Hitler, so she's in a Jewish family, in a German-Jewish family, and they escape across the border just as Hitler's coming to power because her father is on that list of Jewish intellectuals that the Nazi party had. And the worst thing for Judith, or as she calls herself in the memoir, Anna, is that she could only bring one toy with her when they ran away. And she had a new shiny new toy, and she had Pink Rabbit, who she'd loved forever. And she took the shiny new toy, and Pink Rabbit got left behind. I don't know if it's for children. I definitely read it as a child. I think books for adults are for children too. Yeah, it's really great. It's really well written. And it's a real memoir of a childhood, which this is not. So maybe next week I'll do a fake memoir. Both recommendations this week are ones we're both familiar yeah. with. <laughs> would you recommend Fun Home? I would recommend Fun Home. I think it's great. And I would recommend When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit. So this is a very unusual moment in our duo memoir, in the account of our myth. When our tastes converged. Uh, it's your turn for a Spirit of the Pod Goblins hat. This week and next week, we're recommending podcasts that are slightly less obviously connected in some ways to the Pod Goblins hat, in that they have a different form from us, or at least this one does, but they are connected to us more than normal because they are our other podcasts. <laughs> I mean, I have lots of other podcasts and I'm not going to recommend all of them to you listeners, but I am going to recommend the one about my dad because it is yeah. basically very much my version of the exploits of Moomin Papa, but written by Moomin Troll rather than by Moomin Papa and about much more adult and complex themes like dementia, old age, death, memory, but also things like love friendship, romance. It is made up of a series of memoir pieces that I wrote about dealing with my dad's descent into being a person living with dementia. And it is also made up of years of archive footage of interviews I'd done with him. And so it's a mix of his voice telling his story, his own experiences of dementia, but it's also much more upbeat than some of the topics might make you think. Yep, I can second that one as well. I have listened to the whole of that podcast. It's very, very good. I would call it a love letter to your dad from you as well. Yeah. It's a lot about how he parented you. Yeah. In some very Moomin Papa-ish ways. But I would highly recommend that spirit of the Bod Goblins hat as well. It was also recommended in The Guardian by Miranda Sawyer, so... Yes, you critically acclaimed Dave Pickering. That's all for episode seven. But before we go, here are the tiny cliffhangers for next week's episode. Will Edward the Booble eat anybody? And if he does, will he pay for their funeral? Will Sniff ever inherit the muddler's button collection? And will the nibbling be returned to his mother? Until next week, when we'll be reading the second half of Exploits of Moomin Papa, try to have your Moomin babies born at an astrologically suitable moment. Bye! Bye.